What should you expect from the three-headed Broncos backfield? Where will DeAndre Hopkins' numbers end at this season in Arizona? And will Austin Hooper's replacement actually be a better FFPC draft value in 2020? Plus, the 2019 FFPC 1250 number 13 Dynasty champion Scott Pollock co-hosts the show tonight with me to talk about the advantages of hyper-trading, the fallout from NFL free agency and trades, and much more. We've got a great show for you. Scott Pollock is here. I'm Eric Balkman. Stick around. Your high-stakes fantasy football hour starts now. Broadcast live and heard around the world, you are now listening to the most entertaining hour of radio on the planet. It's the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by MyFFPC.com with your hosts, Eric Balkman and Dave Gerzak. The High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour is your home for football analysis from the best fantasy players in the world. And now, because no one else was available, here are Eric Balkman and Dave Gerzak. Rob, greetings and salutations to all of you Balkaholics, Anger, Zach, and Addicts. Welcome to the latest episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by MyFFPC.com. I am, of course, your slightly above average host, Eric Balkman. My co-host is normally the patron saint of fantasy football, the Dizzle, Dave Gerzak. However, we have a very special co-host tonight. He's actually been playing fantasy football for a decade and a half and is a former high-stakes champ who's been playing in the FFPC for the past few years. Two of his three FFPC dynasty teams came home with the championship in 2019, and he's here to talk about his 1250 number 13 title that he won along with co-owner Brian Van Hostrek. Please welcome my co-host for tonight's festivities, owner of the franchise eight teams in the FFPC, Scott Pollock. Scott, thanks for joining me this week. Man, you got a you got a big windpipe, uh, Eric. You got a lot of lungs there. That was impressive, and I was digging the KRS one, by the way. That's a fantastic choice. Well, listen, I uh, I have to uh, I've have I've had a lot of experience at this. Uh, you know, doing this show, we're about to embark on our ninth season. And I feel like uh, as the time has gone on, I'm, I'm still not good at it, but I've gotten better. So hopefully the, that's reflected uh, in, in the show. And, and hopefully um, I am not who people are garnering uh, for fantasy information tonight. You are, are, are the, are the uh, mind <laughs> that everybody wants to pick. Everybody wants to pick his brain. Or everybody wants to pick your brain tonight. And uh, we'll get into a lot of stuff, man. It's, it's, it, it's been a busy week in the NFL. Have you been able to keep up on all this? Yeah, it's intense. It's it's a nice distraction too. So I'm really enjoying it. I got that Melvin uh, that Melvin Gordon news today hit me hard, but I'm I'm feeling a lot better about it right now. To be honest with you. Well, good. You can talk me off the ledge too, because I we will definitely get into some Melvin Gordon stuff. Uh, also on the show tonight, we're going to break down the fantasy values for a lot of the other players who have changed teams, including Stephon Diggs, Todd Gurley, Tom Brady, and much more. Shout out to the chat room right now. Any questions you guys have, post them in there. If you want to connect with us on Twitter, you can do so at HSFFHour. I am at Eric Balkman. Facebook.com slash HSFFHour is where to reach us there. And if you want to chime in and give us a call, 347-426-3682. That's 347 347- Seven game over. You can also email the show at the inbox at highstakesfantasyfootball at gmail.com. If you have any questions for us, uh, now is basically your last time that you have uh, a chance to send them in. Our producer and mutual friend Rob and our audio engineer Bryce will be doing their best remotely to try to get those questions to me later on in our fantasy feedback uh, segment coming up uh, in the uh, latter half of the show. I want to remind everybody that uh, best ball leagues, including Superflex uh, formats as well as uh, Slim Leagues, 
are available uh, for uh, enjoyment and drafting at myffpc.com. Don't forget about the main event early bird that's going on right now until the end of May. And Dynasty Startups, we've got some launching tomorrow. There's uh, down to two orphan teams. So if you're looking to pick up an orphan team for cheap, there are two really good deals out there right now at myffpc.com slash dynasty. All right, Scott, let's get into it. Uh, I want to talk fantasy football, obviously, with you. But before we get into that, can you tell the listeners what you do for a living? Yeah, sure. First, thanks for having me on. I, football, fantasy football is like by far my favorite passion in life, and uh, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Um, I, uh, I work at a car dealership. I'm a, a sales manager, so uh, we sell uh, Ram, Jeep, and, and Chrysler. So this is no wonder to me that you make all these deals in fantasy football because you're closing deals on a daily basis uh, in, in your regular job. You know what? Maybe it is. Um, um, we're hyper aggressive. My store is the number one store in all of Canada uh, in terms of Chrysler Cheap Dodge. And it's actually the number one domestic store, too. It's a really, really you know, busy environment. And the irony, though, is my partner who I run the teams with, uh, Ryan Van Hastrich, he's actually the aggressive one. I'm a little bit, you know, packing nuts <laughs> away for the winter kind of guy. And he, you know, you know, gets something in his head and he's, you know, full board. So we, we make a good team that way. So how does that work to be, if, if you're the more conservative one and he's more the freewheeling one? How, do, how does he s- seem to win out so much? I imagine, yeah. you know, the, the fact that you guys are so, you're, you're so hyperactive trading, if, if he's winning out the majority of the time but not all the time, i got to believe that there's a ton of deals that you guys leave on the table too. Uh, you know what? It's possible. I, I trust him. So when he gets locked into a player, we're, we're, we are hyperaggressive in acquiring them. And uh, I, I talk him off the ledge a lot of times when he wants to go in on a player, and I, I'm, I'm not quite feeling it just yet. So it, it makes I, – I, I, um, I think all in all, I don't remember a decision that he's made that I haven't signed off on, and likewise, and it just makes for a really good team, to be honest with you. Yeah, the, the yin and the yang, the chocolate and the peanut butter, the bitterness and the sweet. Certainly, you guys have found the happy medium there, uh, including that 1250 number 13 dynasty title in the FFPC last year. Scott, that's a it's an incredibly strong squad. You have Michael Thomas, Amari Cooper, Devontae Adams at wideout, Saquon Barkley, Dalvin Cook dominating your backfield, and obviously Travis Kelsey at tight end is a strong, strong, strong way to fill that position. I want to ask you about another running back uh, on your team, a guy that you had alluded to earlier earlier, Melvin Gordon. Uh, earlier today, we found out he signed a two-year, $16 million deal with the Denver Broncos, staying in the AFC West. What kind of numbers are you expecting from him this season now that you know he's going to be running in Denver? Yeah, I'm interested in your opinion, too. When I heard the news, I mean, I, I was really praying for a sneaky Chiefs signing there, and then I started to warm up to Tampa Bay, and then I said to myself, you know what, Atlanta would be okay. And when I saw Gurley go to Atlanta, I was really still hoping for a Chiefs in Tampa Bay. But when I heard Denver hit hard, I really wasn't happy. But now that I'm dug into it, I'm kind of excited, if that makes sense. I'm, I'm, I don't know how to explain it. I'm, I'm, I think I'm a Gordon buyer right now. Um, I think he moves to a slightly better offensive line. Um, if they're going to show 8 mil per year for him, and they won't upgrade Lindsay to his $750,000 contract. I think it tells you what they think about Lindsay, and I think it, what's, it tells you what they think about Gordon. I think they're trying to surround uh, Locke with weapons, and Gordon is a three-down running back. You can't argue it, and I don't think Lindsay is. So I'm, I'm really – I know everyone's scared of the timeshare. I don't know that there's going to be a major timeshare. So he's still young. He's 26 years old. He's not even 27 yet. He's a prolific pass catcher. And the one thing that Melvin Gordon has always done that nobody can argue is he has a nose for the end zone. He's over those last four years, he's averaged 12 uh, total touchdowns a year, 12 total touchdowns over his last four years. He always finds the end zone. So I think I'm putting him in for about 900 rushing yards, 10 total touchdowns, 300 receiving yards, 45 catches. I think he's going to be about a 15 point, 16 point PPR running back. And I think he's a buy. I really do. And I didn't originally think that, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of into it. Not to mention in the dynasty format that, that uh, Philip Lindsay is a restricted free agent after this year. And if they were going to, if he was big, uh, if he was big in their plans, I think they would have done something about it by now. So I'm into it. I, 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 I agree with a lot of what you're saying here. I look at this standpoint as if I'm looking into the crystal ball here, I see a team that is, is, has, has old school fingerprints all over it with, with John Elway as, as the, you know, essentially the GM, Vic Fangio, who wants to play defense, who wants to run the ball. You have a three-headed attack there now with Gordon and Lindsey and Royce Freeman. Now, I, I think Lindsey 
mighty might as he is, I don't really see him being the type of guy that can shoulder you know, three downs and, and be a 20-touch-per-week guy week in and week out. I think he could be a 1B. He's a strong number two, but I think they got their number one in Melvin Gordon. I still think that either Royce Freeman gets phased out of the offense entirely or he's just simply released. I think this is Gordon and Lindsey's backfield. Gordon is going as the, as the uh, running back 16 right now in the middle of the third round. I expect that ADP to go up in FFPC best ball. I think he has a solid season. Of that $16 million, $13.5 million is guaranteed guaranteed too so I think you're right a nail on the head there Denver wants to use him and they will and I think 900 10 touchdowns 45 catches 300 receiving yards I I think that all makes sense and and certainly as it it stands right now I think he's a bit of a buy I don't know how long that buying window is going to be open uh going forward um speaking of tight end Scott uh you have five of them rostered on this 1250 number 13 squad you have limited bench spots after cutdowns in, in ffp in the ffpc dynasty format why did you and ryan decide that you wanted to keep so many at that position on this specific squad can i be honest with you when we found uh, the ffpc format we fell in love with it and one of the reasons is it made tight ends relevant it's one of the best things about uh, ffpc and we made the mistake coming in not you know valuing that position as much as you should so um, I, I think guys like Gary Barnage and Darren Waller have told us that maybe what you think about a particular tight end in a particular system may or may not be true. And I think you can't have too many because I think it's the one position where like opportunity system and usage probably outweigh actual talent sometimes. So I don't know how much. So the tight ends that I've got on that team right now are, are Kelsey, um, as we know. I mean, and to be honest with you, we would love to look for a chop down Kelsey into a Mark Andrews deal. Uh, we've been sneakily looking for that, just so you have a heads up. Uh, we've got Jack Doyle, who I think is super underrated this year, especially with Rivers. I don't think Mo Ali Cox is going to be a threat whatsoever. And I think he's just going to be a target monster. Delaney Walker's just on the roster because I'm just hoping the Skins sign him to a Redskins sign him to a nice cheap deal, and I think he could be a nice kind of target, low end target guy there. And we own a lot of Ian Thomas. I've just been impressed with any time he's been on the field and Greg Olson's not on the field. I think he's I think he's looked fantastic. I know he's a, a, an above average blocker, and I think they intend to start using him real well. I think he could be a great tight end for the future. So I'm a bit of an Ian Thomas guy. And Joni Smith's a bit of just kind of a wait and see. I really didn't like the tight end splits at the end of the year there in Tennessee. They were using a bunch of them. And I saw, you know, I saw Fisker and Prude on the field in important, you know, third down plays and Joni off the field, which kind of scared me a little bit. But it's a little bit more of a, it's a little bit more of a wait and see. A little fun fact for the FPC, uh, FFPC people out there. Darren Waller outscored DeAndre Hopkins last year. And Joni <laughs> Cook scored the same amount of points as Josh Jacobs. So that tells you how important these guys can be um, in this format. And, you know, we like to keep as many as possible. Hey, that, that, that is good knowledge. You, that's, um, that, that'll win you some bar bets, I would imagine, if uh, you run into any FFPC people uh, at the local watering hole. Well, hopefully not right now, but wait till all this blows over and then you run into them you again. You got it. Um, but, but, but that would never that, – that would – I mean, I'm, I'm shocked to hear that too, and, and I don't doubt right? it because of, Darren, of the tight Darren end Darren Waller – yeah, Darren Waller took DeAndre Hopkins out at the knees last year in terms of total, in terms of points per game and total points, and Jared Cook – literally scored the same amount of points as Josh Jacobs, my running back darling. So that will just tell you, you got to find them. And then what you want to do is you want to exploit the teams who don't have one. Right. So. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, you're totally right there. Of course, we're talking with Scott Pollock, the 1250 number 13 dynasty champ in the FFPC last year. Um, you know, I, let, let's talk about this trading thing and, and, and getting back to it, because as you stated earlier, you and your co-owner, uh, Ryan Van Ostrick, they, you guys, you're very active on the trading front. I think what you told me earlier is that basically 75% of all the trades that are done in that league involve your team. How important has that tool been for you uh, as far as player acquisition goes in winning dynasty championships? Have these, you know, a lot of people build through the draft. Some people build uh, and get some pieces off, uh, off the scrap heap and, and free agency. How integral has the trading tool been for you guys in winning these titles? Yeah, I don't think we'd have a chance of being successful without it. Um, that's why the FFPC was a big deal for us. We wanted to know that we could make deals. It was important. Um, so, yeah, we're very active. We're very aggressive. When we like a player, we go after them. Um, I think one of the most important things is just not to assume how everyone evaluates players. Just because you like Dalvin Cook doesn't mean someone else does. And just because 
you don't like a player doesn't mean somebody else does. So I, I think it's I, – I never understand the teams that don't float out offers, get conversations going, and, and away you go. And I think another important thing, too, is to know, you know – you know, your, the opponents in your league and their rosters and, you know, pick out their weaknesses. I will always um, key into a team that only has one tight end and I'll wait for his tight end to get hurt. Or I know the teams that only are carrying two running backs and I'm just waiting for one to go down or I'm waiting to one to, to not perform. And I know what he's doing. He's going to look at his roster and he's going to worry and he's going to stress and he's going to fret. And I'm going to come along like, you know, the devil and I'm going to make him a deal. I'm going to, I'm going to send him an offer that's going to make everything right. <laughs> And it's just, it's just, it's, it's just what we do. I'm going to know your roster, and when you're in trouble, I'm going to be there with a care package, and it's, it's worked for us. I, and I also think potency is everything. You'll notice that roster is filled with superstars, and it's, you, I, we usually try to trade, you know, you know, five quarters for a dollar continuously. And I know most teams will, you know, swat that away, but. You know, a lot of teams will, you know, you know, take on, you know, three or four players and think they have. Uh, a, a higher percentage chance of all these guys popping where we really like the bird in the hand. And we're also the team where, for instance, I think that Will Fuller game last year with 220 yards and two or three touchdowns, he would have been in everyone's inbox after that game with us. We really love to sell players after they explode. Um, and I think the last thing that a lot of teams don't do is I think a lot of teams are afraid to lose a trade. They're scared. They're scared they're going to trade away a player and then they're going to be made fun of. Or you can't be scared. You just got to be aggressive. If you win two out of every three deals or three out of every four deals, I mean, you're winning. So we're not scared to make a mistake. We've certainly made them. Um, and uh, yeah, that's kind of that's a lot of our philosophy. I, you know, tra- in the age of analytics and, and science and numbers and everything, I, I still think in, in dynasty leagues, trading continues to be an art. I mean, you, you, it's a finesse thing. You got to know what to offer, when to offer it, who to offer it to. And I think the more you get yeah. dialed in on that and the better you get at it, uh, the more successful a dynasty player you be. And, and to your point, you guys trade a lot and have become uh, exponentially very good dynasty owners in this format because of it. So, I, and, and I think that's important to, to discuss as, as I want to break down one of the deals you guys just made. This is roughly about two and a half weeks ago in this title winning team in the 1250 number 13. Uh, you traded uh, Chris Carson, Hunter Henry in the 406. And then in exchange, you, you got Debo Samuel and, and Janu Smith. And correct me if I'm wrong yeah. on that, it, it, you know, just, no, just in case I, I get that deal wrong. Yeah, no, that's definitely a correct trade that we made. And okay. I can right. tell you, as I, as I mentioned earlier, my co-owner gets very aggressive when he locks into a player and he had locked into Debo and there was no talking him down. So now I just got to figure out the least expensive way that we can acquire Debo. And that particular team, we already knew was tight end starved. They were choking. I forget. I think it was, uh, I think it was Dallas Goder. It was their only tight end. And not that that's terrible and that's a great dynasty asset, it's not necessarily a potent player to, 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 to lead off in this format, you know, for this year. So we had known that that, that owner was, was choking tight end wise. So we were going to center something around a tight end for sure. And I personally think Chris Carson is a disposable running back asset like Mark Ingram. I think they're great running backs. It's awesome. I'm going to get a whole bunch of points per game right now, but I, I, I don't see Chris Carson as the starting running back of the Seattle Seahawks next year. Do you Eric? Uh, it's it's difficult for me to say because I I kind of you know the way I looked at it is I never really felt like Chris Carson was doing anything to lose that job. However, um, the Seattle went out and they signed and they drafted Rashad Penny in the first round, uh, and and now I, I you know, even after Carson had this great year last year. Um, they're, they're working out guys like Isaiah Kroll. And, and I just, I look at it from the standpoint of, you know, if Seattle's going to keep bringing in these guys, maybe I should trust their judgment and, and the, in the front office there. And the fact that, you know, they're not sold on Chris Carson. So maybe I shouldn't be either. So I get where you're coming from for him being a replacement running back. And uh, by the way, a guy who, if he's not crushing it, he's hurting you because he is hurt a lot and you can't play guys when they're hurt. Speaking of which, Hunter Henry's been dealing with some injuries too. So you deal him and you get maybe a tight end on the rise, John Smith and Debo Samuel, a guy who's really come on last year. And I think a lot of people have been trying to get him on their rosters because they look at that San Francisco situation, knowing that Emmanuel Sanders probably isn't going to be back. Dante Pettis looks like a bust. I mean, who's the reliable wide receiver that you can concentrate on there? And it's Debo Samuel. Not only was he catching passes last year too, but I noticed down the stretch, San Francisco is really scheming him into the game, whether it be a short pass, whether it be an end around. They understood that he's one of the playmakers on their team, and you might have bought him at his lowest point 
um, you know, in Dynasty through his prime. That's certainly possible right now. Yeah, I, I think we locked into him for a couple reasons. One, that you're right, it was the usage. It was the screens, the handoffs, the reverses. He was almost being used in like a Tyree Kill slash TJ Hushmanzada tough role. It was like, I'm going to use you as my speed gadget player, but I'm also going to rely on you on that important third third and 11, and we're going to use your hands, and we're going to use your toughness to grind out and get the first down. And when you, when you start to watch that quarterback-receiver, that young quarterback and receiver relationship blossom, you start to feel it. It gives you the chills. And we started getting that. We're like, well, this is really something. And I also feel like that type of receiver really plays into uh, Kyle Shanahan's run, uh, uh, um, his, kind of, his kind of system run game. Um, and I just – we started to fall in love a little bit, and so we really needed to acquire him. And I'll be honest with you, I've been a Hunter Henry truther from day one, but you've got to give to get. And a lot of times when these receivers, you just got to get them before they explode because if after they explode, it's three first-round picks. And I feel like we've, he's got a chance to really be the next great uh, receiver in the league. I, we avoided a couple bullets. I was really worried about Dick being traded there. I was really worried about Amari Cooper being signed there. So we, we, we avoided a couple bullets. And even if they sign, you know, one of the new rookie receivers in, you know, in, in CD or, or Judy, I think you rookie receivers usually take a little bit. So I'm not too worried. Uh, Scott, we can actually, just as I mentioned him, uh, we can break some news here. Josina Anderson just put out on Twitter that Emmanuel Sanders just agreed to a two-year deal uh, with the New Orleans Saints. So he is going to be a Saint catching passes from Drew Brees playing opposite of Michael Thomas. Certainly a pretty good landing Mm. spot, you would think, uh, catching passes there. What's your instant reaction knowing that Sanders, for at least this year, we'll see if this this two-year deal holds up at his age, but at least for 2020, it looks like Emmanuel Sanders would be the number two wide receiver in New Orleans. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while since that spot's been incredibly relevant. Uh, obviously, gets shown flashes for a bit. Um, I, he really certainly passed the eye test at the start of the year. I was really impressed with Sanders. I didn't think he'd come back from that Achilles, but he really tailed off at the end, and it, it makes me wonder if San Francisco would let him go if they didn't think he'd maybe, you know, is a little bit over the curve now. So, I, 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 it's probably better than everything that than anything that New Orleans was going to throw out there. I know Traquan Swift, um, you know, really, you know, fumbled a lot of opportunities to be relevant. So, I mean, I, I think if you're looking for a 10 point per game production PPR receiver, that's probably a, approximately what you're going to get from him. So, I mean, I'm into it to fill it a roster. I get it, and I think it's it's a low upside type uh, deal, but he does have somewhat of a high floor um, when it comes down to it. Now, right now in FFPC best balls, as, as we shift our focus there from Dynasty, Manuel Sanders was going in the 13th round as the 49th receiver selected. You know that's going to go up now that he has landed in, in a really good offensive spot. Um, he will have to contend with for targets with Cook and with Kamara and with obviously target monster Michael Thomas, but uh, I do like the landing spot right there, uh, at least for a um, you know a, a not you know he's not going to win your league, but he's certainly not going to hurt you. Might be a good uh, an excellent bye week guy or potential number four receiver from the get go. Um, I want to shift the focus now to to uh, rookies uh, here, Scott, as we're talking with sure. the twelve fifty number thirteen dynasty champion in the FFPC la- uh, last year, Scott Pollock. Uh, C.D. Lamb, he's getting a lot of hype lately. You know, for the longest time, I think for the majority of the college football season, and even after the college football season ended, most of the pundits believed that Jerry Judy was the number one receiver in this class. Over the last two, two and a half weeks, I've seen a a lot of the draft mix actually rank C.D. Lamb over Jerry Judy. Are you buying into this hype? Do you think Lamb is going to be the cream of the crop in this class? I am not uh, normally a first-round wide receiver um, drafter just because I think the the success rate is is difficult. Um, but I'll be honest with you, both CD and uh, both CD and Judy, I think they're two the two best wide receiver prospects over the last four years that I could think of. It's not even close actually. So I would prefer CD over um, um, uh, Jerry Judy just because of the smoothness. I think he's just so fluid when you the eye test. Just, just screams wide receiver one. I wouldn't knock somebody for taking uh, Judy, who looks a little bit more sudden and a little bit more explosive. It's just, it's almost like a symphony watching CD play. So I'm, if I have a top four pick and I get to leave with CD, I'm going to be very happy. 
Yeah, I, Lance Airline from NFL Media actually compared him to Chad Johnson. You talk about the smoothness. Well, Chad Johnson was an extraordinarily smooth route runner, made a lot of athletic catches too. Uh, so if he has the type of career that Chad Johnson did, uh, certainly worth the top half of the dynasty pick. No question. Can play outside, can play the slot. Had a spark score in the 70th percentile among NFL wide receivers too, which isn't you know outworldly you know amazing, but it's not bad. In fact, it's 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 pretty good. Uh, so we'll see what happens with CeeDee Lamb as, as far as landing spot goes. I think that's uh, something to be paying that worth paying attention to. Now, uh, Scott, if you're not a wide receiver in the first round type of guy, I'm assuming you like picking running backs in the first round of your rookie drafts. And Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, they seem to be dominating the uh, potential first round running back as far as this year goes, uh, those conversations. How do you feel about J.K. Dobbins out of Ohio State? How do you feel about his game matching up with those two guys in the NFL? I mean, is there, is, is there a significant drop-off? after a Taylor and Swift to Dobbins, or do you rank Dobbins right up there or ahead of those guys? Yeah, I think there's a cliff. Um, it, I think there's the same cliff with those two receivers than I do, that I do with the running backs. I really, I think this draft was a little bit overhyped, to be honest with you. I'm not a big, I'm not a big first round draft guy. I really normally would like to take the bird in the hand, but I'm really not a big fan after the first two running backs. Uh, J.K. Dobbins does not, excite me at all I, I don't I don't know if he it's because I don't feel like he projects to be a, a three down running back I obviously a landing spot is everything he just seems like a one cut runner that doesn't have that elusiveness that I usually fall in love with so I mean if he fell in a great spot let's just say I'm trying to think of a beautiful landing spot right now um, but if he if he fell in a great spot I knew there wasn't competition um, and he was drafted high meaning the team really was putting a whole bunch of stake in him being a, a, a key performer for them I'm into it but I got to be honest with you if I'm holding the one eight or the one nine or the 110 and JK Dobbins comes along I'm trying to trade that for Montgomery you know or or more if i'm going if i'm going to stick in the draft i'm i'm going to take can acres way ahead of dobbins I, I, you know, it's interesting. We talk about landing spots, and, and say, we, get, we get a question about Jordan Howard coming up later in the show from, from a listener, and say what you will uh, about, about him. But the Miami Dolphins, right now as it stands, have three first-round picks. They uh, already met with uh, J.K. Dobbins. Uh, they were scheduled to meet with him this, uh, this coming month in April, and um, they pushed that visit up because, you know, in case of a potential NFL uh, shutdown. So it, it's clear to me that the Dolphins are, are into Dobbins. It's clear to me that they have a, um, an opening there, and they definitely have the ammo as far as those three first-round picks go. So you look at a situation um, like Miami where they've, you know, you know, pumped up their offensive line and free agency might be a pretty decent landing spot. But again, uh, to your point, you're oftentimes in, in, in dynasty drafts, as, as important as opportunity is, talent still reigns supreme. Get the best players on, on, uh, you know, in the NFL, worry about landing spot, worry about that kind of stuff later. So I, I certainly think there's something to be said. Um, and, to, and to your point, Scott, um, about trading these picks, do you feel as much as you and Ryan do these, uh, all these trades in your dynasty league, do you feel, especially at this point of the year, when the rookie picks are at their pinnacle as far as value goes, do you feel like you're better off swapping these picks for players, uh, given that this is the best time to, to quote-unquote, sell high in your draft picks? Has that been your experience? Personally, always. Now, you can get the most value right now. Um, we have always generally traded out of the first round. That, I mean, that, obviously, with exception, you know, we, have, we, we own the first overall pick and we're able to take Saquon Barkley. That was just a, probably the, the third best day of my life. But um, generally, I think there's too many Corey Coleman's, uh, Keneal Harry's, and Rashad Penny's. There's too many landmines in the first round. And I, I, what I've noticed is people don't have patience with these players. They pick them, and then after eight months, they, you know, they give up on them. And then you can kind of sneak in there and pull them away from them for half the cost. So, for instance, we traded our 1-9 for Allen Robinson mid-year or one ten for Allen Robinson, and, like, why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't I want a young in my prime wide receiver for a kinder egg surprise, which that surprise is a lot of times bad. And it's bad for the NFL teams to draft these guys. It's, it's too much of a crapshoot. So unless I can get, I mean, Josh Jacobs last year was a slam dunk for me. Awesome. Uh, I think the first four picks this year are slam dunks. I, if I owned one of those, I wouldn't be trading any of those. They just look like absolute slam. But after that, 
it real it, it's real it's a real Peter Griffin mystery box, if you will. And I, I don't <laughs> I'm 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 not I don't I don't want to I I'd rather the bird in the hands. I want to beat people with points, and I don't know that what the player I'm getting has the points. And by the way, that doesn't mean you have to. That means doesn't mean your team's getting older. Oh, I'm not I'm not drafting in the first round. You know, like let me ask you, Eric, right now, would you trade your one one for Amari Cooper? Yes, I would. Yes, I would. Yeah, you would, right? A lot of people wouldn't do that. A lot of people would say, are you, are you crazy? I could have the next one, Danian Tomlinson. I'm not doing that. I'm doing that so fast it'll make your head spin. Are we crazy? Yeah. Mike Cooper's 25 years old. So we've always been the bird in the hand type of team. We want, you know, we want the potency and the known commodity now, and we'll let the dreamers do their thing. And especially when you consider how many first-round picks um, have busted. You know, and, and I think about all the first-round picks that – you know, were quote unquote sure things that that either were complete busts or they just never met the the one hundred and one value too. So I I think you're right. I think especially this time of year when it's really really difficult. I mean, it's 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 the most difficult to see that bird in your hand when when you when you have the one hundred and one to to give up that potential ceiling for something maybe not as high but but certainly awesome. You know, a sure thing. It's difficult to do that a lot, and and I think um, you know the successful dynasty players like yourself uh, understand that you know it's it, it it's it's be cool and fun to think about how good this guy could be, but it's also really cool and really fun to win with existing stars like as you mentioned Amari Cooper. A couple of emails here that I want to get specifically for you, Scott, that came in from some of the listeners. Um, Joe in Detroit writes, how concerned are you for the values of Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and Ian Thomas now that we know it will be Teddy Bridgewater and not Cam Newton throwing them the ball? Thanks, Scott, and thank you, Joe, in Detroit for the email. Teddy Bridgewater, three years, $60 million was the contract he signed with the Carolina Panthers this week, ostensibly to be their starter. Now that you know that um, Bridgewater is going to be tossing the passes of those guys, the dynasty values worry you at all with any of those four players or do they status quo or do they improve? That's an awesome question. I'm not obviously not worried about Christian McCaffrey by any stretch of any imagination, but I, I got to be honest with you. I don't believe in Bridgewater whatsoever. I don't think he was good in Minnesota. I think he was a system of, of the saints and how professionally run that organization is. I don't think he's a good quarterback and I'm, I don't know what Cam's like in the locker room. I don't know, but I know Cam a couple of years ago was almost the MPP of the league. And so I, I don't, I, I don't, it's definitely not good for Curtis Samuel. That's for sure. Um, I've never been a monster DJ Moore guy and I guess it's a wait and see things, but I'm definitely not elevating any player not named Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, well, you know, if, if Bridgewater does kind of throw it, well, okay, let's get McCaffrey out of the way. You know, you or I could be quarterback in Carolina. Christian McCaffrey is still a top three overall pick. He's a slam dunk right. 101 with a professional quarterback. Exactly, yeah. Um, and you look at, you know, I think about Kyle Allen last year, uh, who was the quarterback for Carolina for the majority of the season, and Moore still put up numbers. So I don't think I'm necessarily concerned with him. Uh, Samuel, I, I, I guess for me, I've never been a huge Samuel guy. And, and as far as Ian Thomas goes, you know, he's going so cheap right now in, 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 uh, in FFPC best balls. It, it doesn't really, you know, you're not sinking a, a lot of ass draft assets into him. You can get him in the 10th round, basically the 17th tight end off the board. That's fine. Uh, I have no problem with that there. So it's, it's a wait and see thing, obviously, but I'm not massively adjusting any of these guys dynasty or redraft based on, on this Bridgewater signing. Another email here before we get back into it. Kenny in Steamboat Springs, Colorado writes, uh, I'm channeling your dynasty expertise here, but if you want to give me some redraft analysis, that's cool too. Is Darren Waller a sell high or avoid a draft now with the Raiders going out and signing Jason Witten today? Or this email came in earlier this week, but Jason Witten is now a Raider. So how much are you dinging Darren Waller's dynasty value here now that you know the Raiders are proactively went out and added another tight end, Scott. Sure. And I owned a lot of Darren Waller and I still own a bunch of Darren Waller. Um, I didn't love that signing, but we know Gruden does that. He brings in the old guys, um, you know, whether just to keep the locker room in, you know, in, in great shape. Um, Darren Waller right now is their only explosive pass catching weapon on that entire team. I can't see anybody else, you know, getting separation or putting them in, a, in, a, in, a, in an unguardable uh, route running scenario. So 
I didn't love the signing, but I don't think it's going to hurt him too much. And you're talking about the number two um, PPR point-getting tight end in the FFPC format last year. So let's just say this. I probably had him as a top five tight end, and now he's probably a top seven tight end. Um, I, I think it. I, I think it hurts uh, uh, Moreau. Uh, is it Moreau? Is that how you pronounce his last name? I think it hurts yep, him exactly. more than it yeah. hurts Waller. Yeah, I think it hurts him more than it hurts Waller. What would hurt Waller a little bit more, in my opinion, is if they if they go out and and they're able to somehow secure a deal for an explosive wide receiver. Otherwise, he is their receiving threat, and he's the only one. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, you know, the thing is with Dynasty, it's like, it wasn't. It's not like they just signed went into a seven year deal. I mean, he's probably going to be there uh, one season and then he'll move on. Uh, Darren Waller, as far as what he did last year, uh, I, I think speaks for itself. And you're, I think, top five to a top seven. I think that makes sense. He's still being drafted as the fifth overall tight end. I would imagine uh, that that uh, Austin Hooper might have a chance to move ahead of him now. I don't think this Witten thing affects him a whole lot. And if you want to take Darren Waller in the early to mid-fourth, good on you. I think that's a fine value there uh, as far as best balls go. Um, before I want to get into a bunch of the NFL free agency. Before we get into that final question I have for you, uh, uh, Scott, as we move on here tonight, we know you don't like J.K. Dobbins. Who's another rookie that you're really not fond of in, in this year's draft? And then potentially a guy who might go in the second or third round of FFPC rookie drafts that you think has a really good chance of hitting. Sure. Um, I'm not a Henry Ruggs guy, but I'm never, this, uh, I'm never the quick, um, explosively fast receiver guy. I've never been. Um, so um, I was never in on Ross. He just felt uncomfortable to me. Marquise Brown, I'm just, I, I can't do it. I want that polished runner, that all-encompassing wide receiver. That's just in my heart, and that's where I go. So I'm off on rugs, but I would have missed on Tyreek Hill, right? So, uh, I, I'm, so I'm not a fan of the all-encompassing. Uh, the, the receiver is not going to be an all-encompassing, incredible runner. So I met on rugs, and I met on Dobbins. Those are the two guys that I, I really don't want to share in whatsoever. Um, the, the player, uh, the receiver that I liked, he's moving up boards really fast, unfortunately, is Justin Jefferson. But if we're going to talk about the sleeper that I like the best that you can, you might be able to get in the second, third round is Brian Edwards, the South Carolina wide receiver. Um, I don't think he, you know, was at the combine because I think he had an ankle injury, but he has that kind of Sutton feel to me. He's a, a big a receiver that has hands and makes contested catches and just feels like a man out there, almost like a, almost like a boss receiver. And I think he's being slept on a little bit. And I think with the right landing spot, and obviously that's key always with the right landing spot. I think Brian Edwards at a South Carolina could, you know, really push for some points next year. I, you know, what's funny about this is two weeks ago on these airwaves, we had Brent Studebaker on the show, a, a longtime FFPC dynasty guy who's actually from South Carolina. And he also, I said, hey, who's a sleeper in this year's rookie class? He said the same thing as you, Brian Edwards, look out for this guy. Uh, so maybe this guy is actually going to be flying up uh, uh, rookie drafts once we find out where these guys land. But that's uh, two out of the last three weeks now from successful dynasty players. Uh, we, we've heard Brian Edwards' name, certainly a guy I will be keeping my eye on as we move forward here and, and approach, fast approach, uh, rookie draft season with the NFL draft roughly, uh, oh, I don't know, about five weeks away, something like that. Uh, very exciting times. Um, it was exciting times this week in NFL free agency, and uh, I, I'm going to break it down or do my best to break it down, along with FFPC 1250 number 13 dynasty champ Scott Pollock, who joins me on these airwaves uh, this week, talking NFL free agency. Thanks to Football Guys, Roto World, and Rob for tonight's rundown. Let's lead things off with the whirlwind 24 hours that Todd Gurley had after he was released uh, by the Rams on uh, Thursday. Uh, the the uh, Atlanta Falcons, according to their Twitter account, have signed Gurley to a one-year $5 million contract. Obviously, uh, that contract is contingent on the 25-year-old runner passing his physical. Remember, Todd Gurley played his college ball for the University of Georgia in the Bulldogs there, and you would imagine that this is a guy that was a former Offensive Player of the Year replacing Devontae Freeman in that backfield. Freeman had 184 carries uh, there last year. Right now, it's just Edo Smith. It's just Brian Hill in that backfield. They're probably going to add somebody in the draft, but it looks like it's Gurley's job uh, to lose right now. And, and, you know, given what they signed him for, 
Scott, he's running back 20 in FFPC best balls. He's going at the end of the third round. Um, this is a guy who still is, is fairly young. I guess the concern with me would, would be that knee. Yeah, I mean, not in a dynasty format I'm not into it, but in a redraft, I'm into it. I don't think he has any competition. They're paying him the money. They're going to run the wheels off him. He, he obviously wasn't the Todd Gurley of three years ago last year, but he was still pretty productive. Uh, productive enough for them to not get Henderson in the mix. So, I mean, I think they're going to get their money's worth out of him. I don't, I don't think if you're, if you're expecting old-school explosive Gurley to be there, it's not going to be him. But you just got to appreciate the fact that there's literally zero competition. So I'm into it for an affordable cost and a redraft and a dynasty. If I can still get some good juice, I'm probably going to sell. Um, the, the trade that, that set, I mean, I, I was blown away by it. I'm still getting used to it. The Texans actually got David Johnson, a 2020 second oh, my rounder. Ears are bleeding. And, I, can't, uh, I, can't, I can't even deal. I can't even deal. I don't even know. This is, this is just a, this is a horror story. Okay, so let's, let's talk about it, number one, and we'll ease into it. We'll talk a little bit about uh, what this means for David and Duke, Duke Johnson. How do you think, I mean, is this an even split, in your opinion, this year between the, the Johnson uh, guys, uh, or is, are they going to add a runner in the draft? How do you see the Texans' backfield unfold? I'll tell you what, I, you know, David Johnson, you know, in the draft process before he made the NFL was my favorite player. I, I, I identified him in the third round. I wanted him more than anything. I drafted him and I, I looked like a genius uh, when, you know, he ended up being a superstar, but I've never seen such a fall off so fast. Anyone watched him with their eyes. You, you don't need to be a, you know, a big time dynasty player to take a look at, you know, he looked terrible. So it, it was enough for me. We went out and acquired Duke Johnson for cheap, for pennies. I think you can buy Duke Johnson right now for a fifth or sixth round pick, right? It's really nothing. It's pennies in your pocket. If, if Kenyon Drake, who clearly is better than most people thought, and I don't know what's wrong with Miami, if Kenyon Drake can just absolutely jump the hell over David Johnson, are you going to tell me that Duke Johnson, who's actually pretty kind of good, pretty good, isn't going to be able to dunk, uh, jump over uh, um, over David Johnson, and you're going to tell me it's not worth a fifth or sixth round pick to see if that happens. So we literally just acquired Duke for for pennies, and I don't know. I I, I really don't know. I've just never seen a, a player fall off that fast. Um, so it, it'll be interesting for sure. I'll tell you what. If I did own David Johnson, being at, at his age where he is, and if I, I had an excited buyer right now, I would be I'd be definitely selling. You know, what's interesting about this is just to kind of look at it from a front office standpoint. Uh, the Texans are able to release David Johnson after this coming season, um, and, and they save $9 million against the cap. And it seems like Bill O'Brien, I don't know if he's got uh, pictures of, of Bob McNair or what's going on down there, but the guy blows a 24 nothing lead in the playoffs. When, and, you know, we're talking about maybe he's going to be fired uh, after that, and not only does he not get fired, he gets promoted and gets the GM job. So maybe with the job stability he has down there, he's actually looking forward to the future. Didn't really see much of one with DeAndre Hopkins uh, in, in the money that he was asking for. And, and maybe he sees the potential cap savings is worth it. Maybe this is just a punt year, a reset year. I'm not really sure. I don't understand it. Um, breaking down the Texans receivers, is it Randall Cobb? Is, is that the number one receiver there this year? Or, or are you digging Will Fuller in Dynasty now as a buy? If I'm taking any of them, I'm taking Will Fuller for sure, just because he has that monster ceiling. Um, but, I, I, I mean, what his price is going to be, it's not worth it. That owner is going to think he's hit, uh, you know, a gold mine. And Randall Cobb is nothing. He's a, he's a, he's a filler receiver who's going to average, you know, uh, between 8 to 12 points a game. He, he's it, Roster him, that's great. I just feel bad for Deshaun Watson. That's terrible. That's absolutely terrible. Yeah. The chemistry he had with Hopkins was unguardable. Everyone knew who it was going to. They could stop it. He's an elite ride receiver. Let's just say the chemistry between him and the coach was so brutal well, go out and get more. It's it's sad. I'm sorry. It's brutal. I'm not in on any of them. I'm, I, I, if I could get Fuller for cheap, that would be awesome. Um, they're likely, obviously, now going to use their second-round pick and, and try to get a high-end receiver. But the, the chemistry is just not going to be there the way, you know, Hopkins had it with Watson. And I, to be honest with you, I, I, if, if I owned – um, DeAndre Hopkins, I would be trying to see what I can unload him for. I think there's a lot of mouths all of a sudden in Arizona. 
And I, the, the value to, to Hopkins was the volume, was the undeniable 8, 10, 12 targets a game. I don't know that they're going to be there in a four-wide receiver set in Arizona. And I, I would right now be probably trying to sell if I could. Well, I mean, what could we talk about like certain untradeable, quote unquote, untradeable guys in Dynasty? And I think at Hopkins' peak, he he probably was one of those guys. But new situation, he's getting a little long in the tooth. Uh, certainly, his his numbers were. I mean, across the board, they were they were awesome last year. But you look at it that there was a bit of a decline from 2019 or from uh, 2018 to where they were at last year. So I'm I'm just kind of curious if if you had Hopkins and you're looking to 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 shop him, would you need more than two first round picks in in this year's draft? Uh, how where what's the price for Hopkins in Dynasty now? To me, there's only four picks in this year's draft. So if you're not talking two of those top four, I'm not into it. I, if I'm shopping Hopkins, I, I want I yeah. If I'm shopping Hopkins, I want I want a you know in in people's brains, Hopkins is a top seven startup pick. And I don't think that's correct anymore, personally. So I'm going to be looking for something close to that, or I'm going to be looking for, you know, to split it a little bit. So, I, I mean, I would trade Hopkins for Cooper and a first-round pick, one that I, you know, I would I – would, anyway, I, I would be exploring – let's just let, – let me ask you this. So you're, a, um, you're an Odell Beckham Jr. owner, and you're moving over. He's just traded to the Browns. I wanted nothing to do with him as a Cleveland Brown last year. And look what, it, look what happened. It's like, imagine you were able to wiggle out of that opportunity, you know, that opportunity. And I just think it's, I'm not saying it's the same, but it does feel eerily similar, doesn't it? A high volume receiver whose value is spiked because he's looked at in every single passing route now goes to a couple mouths and a different offense. It's eerily similar and I'm trying to get the owner who absolutely is in love with the concept of Kyler Murray and him and away you go. So I'm trying to look for, you know, a talent that's near him or I want two of the top four, you know, rookie picks this year. Yeah, no, I think you're right on that. That's 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 an interesting comparison. It's so funny because Odell Beckham, who is everybody's darling last year, now has the same startup right? ADP and FFPC dynasty drafts, the same ADP as Cortland Sutton. And he's actually going behind uh, uh, AJ Brown, uh, you know, which is you know the Eric, time last year. Eric, who would have thought Eric in a startup. Who are you taking, Cortland Sutton or Odell Beckham Jr.? You know, at this point, just given the career trajectory, I, I think it's still going to be Sutton. You know, I, I just I I, I I own Beckham in one dynasty league. I was never all about him. Um, and, and, you know, now they go out and give Austin Hooper all this money and we don't know if Baker oh. Mayfield's a real deal. And I just, I, I don't know, man. I, I think the, uh, give me the unknown with Sutton because he took a big step forward last year on not a ton of targets. And now that he yep. is the number one all season with no Manny Sanders there, it, it's, it's pretty juicy. Yeah, I, I agree. So I, th- it feels uh, eerily similar to me again, and I'm not disrespecting Hopkins. He's an incredible receiver and man, you can double cover him and he's still going to find a way to do it. And he's so clutch and I have more, but it's just people, you know, underrate an entirely different scenario. And there's a lot of mouths over there in Arizona. They're doing great things. Good for them for acquiring him. Um, but I, you know, if I can wiggle out of him and get a very similar value player in terms of the community, um, I'm probably going to do it. Uh, moving on to another stud receiver that was actually traded this past week. Stefan Diggs goes to the Bills along with a 2027th rounder. The Vikings uh, get a 2021st, 2025th, 2026th, and a 2021 fourth-round pick, according to Jay Glazer on Twitter. We all know that Diggs, more than one occasion, was pretty frustrated with his role in Minnesota. The middle part of the season was actually pretty successful uh, for him, but obviously came up short for owners and fantasy playoffs in, in the final two weeks. Kirk Cousins, Mike Zimmer, Stephon Diggs, this never really seemed like a long-term situation that, that was going to be good. Uh, in fact, when Thielen and Diggs are both healthy, uh, Cousins is actually peppering Thielen with more targets than he was with Diggs. And now Stephon Diggs is catching passes 
from uh, Josh Allen in Buffalo. He's got to contend with targets with John Brown and Cole Beasley. Let's talk about Diggs as far as his dynasty value. Does it go down in Buffalo just because, you know, you expect a lower volume passing attack? Or is this a situation where you think Buffalo is actually going to be a more lethal passing team uh, than, than Minnesota would have been this year? It's murky waters. It's really interesting. Uh, uh, Diggs, the, the Viking, we, I, 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 we really hate it. And one of the reasons why I'm just not a fan of Diggs is I, I can't deal with the high-low, high-low. I mean, that's going to lose your weeks. Yeah, you're going to get really potent weeks, and you're going to probably clobber your opponent, but it sucks to lose by three points, and Diggs was the week that he gave you four points. So I really need consistency from wide receivers. That's why I was always a big A.J. Green guy. So not a big Diggs guy. Over in Buffalo, it's interesting because doesn't Josh Allen have the arm for Diggs? And, but they just don't pass the ball as much as you'd like them to. I mean, that's what Minnesota was doing for a while. It kind of ruins – I feel like the Diggs trade kind of ruins both Thielen and Diggs because Diggs – I mean, Thielen being such a terrible outside guy, um, I don't really know what they're going to do there for outside receivers. And so I, I think probably Diggs' value would, would remain similar to the same, which is not a value I love where he gets drafted. Um, so – I mean, if I'm if I'm if I own Diggs, I'm probably holding him and see what's up. I, I I think Josh Allen's kind of the real deal, and he certainly got the arm to hook it up to him. The accuracy is questioned, but he certainly got the arm. And I mean, they they definitely need weapons in Buffalo, so I don't think it kills Diggs' value. I think it's probably really similar. The interesting thing is Thielen left now as a as a Minnesota Viking. You really want to say, oh, I want to buy in right now. He's the only wide receiver, but I think he's going to struggle being the only wide receiver there. Yeah, he definitely could, and, and we'll see what Minnesota does with that first-round pick. Maybe they, they try to get in a long-term number two guy to – to play I think next you're to right. Thielen or yep. a, long, a long-term a long-term number one guy who can be the number two until Thielen starts to drop off. I think that's possible too. Um, let's talk about um, uh, Cleveland. Be- you know, we're talking with Beckham. Let's talk about his new teammate, Austin Hooper. The deal he signs with Cleveland, according to ESPN's Vaughn McClure, is for four years, $44 million. Uh, the $23 million uh, guaranteed goes uh, part and parcel with Hooper being the highest paid tight end in the league at least until George Kill gets uh, sus- uh, suspended, extended with San Francisco. <laughs> and, uh, and certainly if, if the Chargers use this time until July 1st or whatever it is, uh, maybe they work out a long-term deal with Hunter Henry. He could leapfrog that as well. You look at what Austin Hooper was last year in Atlanta, uh, you know, the seam ripper, the guy underneath with Calvin Ridley and, and Julio Jones doing so the hard good. work outside. How, yeah. Hey, listen, how, how good was he? And I've got to be honest with you, my partner – all off season was like, there's nothing we need to do except own Austin Hooper everywhere. Uh, <laughs> he's the tight end whisperer, and we basically owned him everywhere. Now, we've sold him since, um, but he was on to him. I've I, I, I got to be honest with you, in the Browns, I, I want nothing to do with him. I mean, I, I, I just – the value is, is – is the, the drop is insane. I think he was a product of the system in Atlanta who loved to use that tight end across the middle of the field. And if I've got Austin Hooper right now, I'm going to try to wiggle out of him too. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think he's the thing is, as far as a redraft standpoint, I think that he, a lot of people are drafting him based on, on his level of production last year. And it was great, but sure. the, the numbers never wowed you. Like he's, he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, Dave and I have talked about on this show, uh, fantasy accumulators and and the the textbook definition for fantasy accumulator for us has always been Michael Turner, not incredibly special, but got a ton of volume yeah. and didn't screw it up. You know he 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 built up his fantasy value because of volume, and I think that's what Austin Hooper did last year. Is he going to have the same volume in Cleveland this year? I don't know. I mean, you got Njoku there, you got Beckham, you got Landry, you got Chubb, you got Kareem Hunt. I'm not sure. You know, in Atlanta last year, you had Devontae Freeman, you had Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley. That was it. And, and then obviously Hooper. You know who was probably third on the team in targets. I don't know if it's going to be a similar situation in Cleveland. And the fact that I don't know and where he's going right now, what it's going to cost to get him, I'm out on him this year uh, for sure. I'm totally with you. All right, this is a fantasy football podcast, Scott. And, and as such, we are contractually obligated to talk about Tom Brady and his new team. Two years, $50 million. <laughs> he signs with Tampa, according to Mark Maskey on Twitter. Uh, all $50 million is guaranteed. He has a chance to earn $9 million more in incentives. He has a no-trade clause. 
this is crazy. Um, he got basically everything he wanted. In fact, only Jared Goff, Roethlisberger, Prescott, Russell Wilson, and Garoppolo have a bigger cap hit uh, this year for their team other than Tom Brady. So basically, he'll have two years in Tampa. Let's talk about this. Not necessarily what it does for Brady's fantasy value, but I'm kind of curious what it does for Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, O.J. Howard, and, and the rest of the Buccaneers' skills guys there. Now that you know it's not Winston in 2020 and it'll be Tom Brady, what are you doing with these Buccaneers' skill guys? This is going to be an unpopular answer, but I'm I definitely it lowers Mike Evans significantly. I mean, let's. I mean, I don't want to. I feel dirty talking about this, but let's be honest. Tom Brady, you know, the eye test says he was not Tom Brady, and I, I feel I, actually I, I feel terrible saying that, but it's just it's the truth. So, can Tom Brady get the ball downfield for Mike Evans? I don't think so. I. I I don't think so. And it doesn't look like Bruce Arians wants to use the tight end. It just, it just doesn't seem like he wants to do it. Is Tom Brady all of a sudden going to change the way that Bruce Arians thinks about football and his strategy and the way he goes about things? I don't think so. So I, um, so I, I really feel like the, the, those are the two. I really feel like Mike Evans is the one that gets impacted the most. And I think that I, Chris Godwin probably remains the same, but on that note, I think Godwin's being a little bit overrated right now. So from a general standpoint, I I think Tom Brady is a little bit of a downgrade to everybody. I know that's unpopular, but that's how I feel. Well, no, I think you're right. I I mean, you had Jameis Winston just pumping the ball downfield with no, uh, you know, no abandon. I mean, it was like a, uh, like a coked up teenager, the way he would play out there. Just he didn't care about the (laughs) consequences. You know what I mean? It was just, it was, it was, it was a free for all. And, and oftentimes it will work out. Oftentimes it worked. It did not work out. It's a disastrous result, too. So I think you you make a good point there. I think you got to lower Evans. I think you got to maybe Evans, maybe a little bit more than Godwin. But I I think I'm lowering both of them and certainly OJ Howard as well. I want to get to uh, to a few more emails here as we approach the last few minutes of the show. Here we'll try to get to as many of these as we can. Um, I want to move. Let's talk. Well, we already kind of talked about that. Let's move on and talk. Okay, this is a good one. Matt in Newport, Ritchie, Florida. We'll, we'll take his question first. He says, how close does Hayden Hurst come to replicating Austin Hooper stats for the Falcons this season? Thanks Ooh, for the email, Matt. This is, this is interesting because the Ravens um, uh, um, ship Hurst to the Falcons after Austin Hooper signs with the Browns. How, so so what, how close does, let, let's just put it in, in, in the frame of, of reference that Matt's referring to, how close does Hayden Hurst get to Austin Hooper's 2019 numbers there. I personally, and uh, right now I'm being taken over by my partner in spirit, I think personally probably 80%. And if you can get your hands on Mark Andrews or Hayden Hurst, do it. Uh, Mark Andrews is the new Ferrari in the tight end world, and it's not going to stop. He's their offensive weapon. And Hayden Hurst, Mark Andrews was a system guy. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Austin Hooper was a system guy in that setup, and Hayden Hurst is now their new system guy with no competition, and they use the tight end, and they use him all over the field. He's going to be an end zone guy with the double teams on Julio. If you can get Hayden Hurst right now for, you know, an affordable price, you want to go get him. I think it's probably going to be 80 to 85% of the production, but it wouldn't be outlandish if I told you at the end of the year that all of a sudden Hayden Hurst was – a top four receiver, a top five receiver like Hooper, that wouldn't blow your mind because it's not like Austin Hooper is that special. He's just a product of that system. Yeah, no, I think you're right about that. And I'm actually just trying to look at the um, the, the startup uh, where he's going right now. This was before the deal, the majority of these drafts went on, before the deal that sent him to Atlanta. So you know that the, this this ADP is, is going to get, he's going to get higher. But he was going yeah. in the 13th round of FFPC startups. He's going to, there, there's going to be a sharp that's going to swing skyrocket. as far as where he's yeah, going. That's, yeah, that's absolutely. going to skyrocket. Let me, let me ask you, Eric, would you rather own Ian Thomas or Hayden Hurst? I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I think for me it's pro- – nah. 
I, I guess I'd lean towards Ian Close, Thomas right? just be, just because of the yeah just because of the upside. I well here's the thing. Thomas is going in the tenth round uh, of startups right now, and and if Hurst gets to that same spot, I think just because of the age, because Hurst is kind of old entering the NFL, I think I'm going to lean towards Thomas. But I, you know, if I was in a bunch of dynasty starters, I might go Hurst in a couple and, and Ian Thomas in a couple. You know what I mean? Sure. Just because I'm not sure. Yeah, that's fair. Um, let's get to let's see where do I want to go here? Oh, Tony in Burke, Nebraska. Let's talk about him. Dear Ernest and Kevin, would you be looking to move on from Nick Chubb in Dynasty now that it looks like he will be splitting touches in the backfield for Cleveland with Kareem Hunt? Stay safe, guys. Thank you, Tony. You too as well in Burke, Nebraska. So Nick Chubb, um, we were excited for him last year, certainly put up massive numbers until Kareem Hunt got off suspension, and then the uh, the backfield became a little bit more of a timeshare. You look forward now in Dynasty knowing that Kareem Hunt is probably going to be back with the Browns this year. Do you envision a 50-50 split? What would you do if you own Nick Chubb right now in any of your dynasty leagues, Scott? I'll tell you this. I, I don't know the monster difference between Nick Chubb and Melvin Gordon. Obviously, Nick Chubb's two and a half years younger. I get it. But for everyone you know, poo-pooing on Melvin Gordon and everyone all in on Nick Chubb, it doesn't make sense to me. You have, a, you have the scat-back prolific pass catcher and hunt behind Chubb. And we don't know if he's going to shoot anybody in the club or something like that. But we do know he's going to get catches and he's going to get carries. So if you're scared, if, you're, if you don't like Melvin Gordon because of Lindsey Hunter, then you shouldn't like Nick Chubb because of Hunt. So Nick Chubb in the first or second round, I'd much rather have Melvin Gordon in the third and fourth round personally. Um, but um, that's just kind of – that's how I feel. So I, Nick Chubb is the first running back being drafted really high that's clearly in some type of a timeshare. So I'm probably out. I'd probably rather take an elite receiver there. Um, yeah, what about you, Eric? Ah, boy. You know, I, I, the thing is, is I don't own um, uh, either of these guys in any of my dynasty leagues just because I, I missed the, I, I screwed up in the drafts and I didn't get Chubb, even though I could have got him at a good value and I didn't get him. And I was never, I didn't want, in fact, I think I might've traded Kareem Hunt in a couple of leagues because I didn't want to have him on my roster for that suspension. Sure. Uh, I, I don't want to yeah. soak up the roster spot. I can't remember what I got for him, but you know, this is a tough situation where, where you look at it from because everybody knows the same information as you know. So I think it's it's the case of if you believe Chubb is going to be, you know, uh, more of a, a one than a 1A, then you ride it out with it. But if you're not sure, I bet there's somebody in your league that does believe in Chubb and you can probably get decent value for him. And then at that point, I'd probably move on. Um, I just haven't assessed the situation enough to, to know where I truly stand on this. I, I think I'm... I'm leaning towards, uh, you know, dealing him because of what happened at the end of last year. And that's sort of where I'm, where I'm at on it. I, I don't, you know, it, you ask me tomorrow, Scott, I'll probably change my mind three times. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things where it's super close. Um, okay. Final email tonight. Um, let's yeah, let's squeeze one more in. I actually teased this earlier, so we definitely should. Um, Joe in Philadelphia. Good evening, gentlemen. Hear me out. The Dolphins have poured a lot of cash recently into improving their offensive line and have only added Jordan Howard to their backfield to go with Kalen Balaj. Call me crazy, but could Jordan Howard be an incredible sleeper this season? Scott, we kind of talked to this earlier. Are we of the same mind that we think Miami's adding a running back either on day one or day two of the NFL draft this season? I think we may have lost Scott. I do apologize for that. Scott, if you can hear me, give me a buzz back uh, if you can. I, I want to see if we can get you back uh, to answer uh, this, this final question before, um, before we say bon voyage. I think for me, um, from the standpoint of um, looking at the Miami Dolphins, they are still in a rebuild. Um, I don't think that Jordan Howard is the answer. I don't think that Jordan Howard given the um, money that they're paying him. It was not a break-the-bank type of deal. I think this is clearly a depth signing for Jordan Howard. So it's fun to think about. It's fun to um, imagine Jordan Howard as a three-down guy in Miami this year. I don't see that really happening, and I think we're going to have a much different um, take on this uh, when we get to uh, when we get after the draft because I do believe that Miami will be – you know. 
whether it's a first round pick, it could be Dobbins, it could be Taylor, it could be Swift, it could be any of those guys. It could also be a day two type guy. I mean, it could be Clyde Edwards Hilaire. It could be Cam Akers. You know, the the fact that they signed Jordan Howard means they don't necessarily quote unquote need a three down banger, a a a you know, a, a little scat back like Akers or Edwards Hilaire, who's not the biggest guy in the world, that might make more sense there. So I think from that standpoint, I would stand to say that the Miami Dolphins running back you want to own in 2020 is not on the roster yet. Thank you so much for the email, Joe in Philadelphia. That is going to do it for our show tonight, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank so much Scott Pollock for co-hosting the show with me this evening. Uh, Great stuff from him. The 1250 number 13 Dynasty champ. We actually won two FFPC Dynasty Leagues last year. So congratulations to both him and his co-owner, uh, Ryan, uh, and I'm going to butcher his name again, so I'm not even going to bother saying it. <laughs> Ryan Van Ostrecht. I'll, I'll, I'll try to say it one more time. Um, so congratulations to those guys. Uh, now, next week, we will be live once again at 10-9 Central. Dave will uh, be back uh, in the studio next week. And I do want to thank uh, the FFPC, Rob, Bryce, and, of course, each and every one of you for hanging out and listening to the show this evening. Uh, Remember, check out those best balls that we have. We have best ball drafts going on all this weekend. You want to get in a super flex, a double up, uh, a slim, a standard, any of those. Those are all available uh, at myffpc.com. Don't forget, two Dynasty Orphans left. If you're looking for a really good deal, there's two of them at myffpc.com slash Dynasty. Sign up for startups, too. 77, 250, and 500. And don't forget about that main event early bird. And uh, listen, thanks so much for listening. Your weekend this has been out. another episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by myffpc.com that was broadcast live and heard around the world. Eric and Dave will be back next week with more analysis, interviews, and advice from a guest much smarter than they are. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk with you again next week. We're on the floor, even more so if we on tour. Me and E explore the country, wondering about the evening before. Trying to explain where the time went. Well, other rappers find a studio to grind in. And, uh, you know, I wasn't going to let you go without a uh, friendly PSA on uh, the whole social distancing thing. I don't really talk about this on social media at all, uh, just because, you know, we get enough of it, quite frankly. I I don't need to preach to you. But I will preach to you uh, right now uh, for anybody who's still listening at the end of the show. Um, This whole thing that's going on in our country right now, it stinks. Uh, I'm with you. It it's not fun and I'm missing sports and, and everything in, in my normal life, just as much as you guys are. Uh, but I will say this, um, we have the opportunity to really crush this thing right now. Um, it, it's going to get worse over the next month, month and a half. It's going to get really, really bad over the next year, year and a half. If we don't um, really stop this thing out with social distancing as much as possible. You guys who are listening to this show, you're all very intelligent FFPC owners. You're very successful in life. You can find ways to stay at home and still get everything done that you need to get done. And you can still find ways to stay at home and, and enjoy life and, and, and enjoy the people around you, enjoy your family and keep them safe. So I challenge you to find a way. Let's get out there. Let's, let's get this thing over with as soon as possible and so we can move on with our lives and, and move on and, and get back to a sense of, uh, of normalcy. Wash your hands, and um, thank you so much for listening, everybody. I'll talk to you again next week, and I'm off my soapbox for now. Thanks. <laughs>